This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 8.47, Monday, the 30th of January. And we just heard from Kari Jamaluddin on The Breakfast Grill. And you heard it first on BFM. Now, but in 15 minutes, we've got the KLCI opening as well as an outlook on the Singapore equity market with Jeff Howie, market strategist at Singapore Exchange. But in the meantime, let's take a look at our healthcare issues. Because over the past month, more reports have come to light about overcrowding in government hospitals across the country, resulting in patients having to wait for hours and sometimes days before receiving urgent medical care. Health Minister Dr Zaliha Mustafa recently announced that short-stay wards are being introduced in government hospitals where space permits to help ease congestion in emergency department. However, is this measure a temporary band-aid for a structural wound in the healthcare system? Separately, the health minister last week expressed concern over the sale and advertising of vape products to children. Noting that the vape industry is currently unregulated. Now, the ambitious tobacco products and smoking bill that was introduced by the government last year, also known as the generational endgame bill that would ban smoking after those born after 2007, would have introduced regulations for the vaping industry akin to the tobacco sector. However, the new government has not yet indicated whether the bill would be revived in light of the controversy over the GEG element. So some health experts have caused, excuse me, have called for the GEG plan to be dropped to expedite the passage of the bill. Is this a right move? Joining us on the line to discuss this is Azro Khalid, Chief Executive of Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. Good morning, Azro. Always good to speak to you. Now, you're a proponent of the stalled smoking generational endgame bill. Why have you made a U-turn on the GEG element of it? Is this recognition that such a law is too difficult to pass and implement here in Malaysia? Well, let me start by saying that we need the Tobacco and Smoking Control Bill to be urgently tabled and passed in Parliament. I have not, in fact, made a U-turn on our commitment to the GEG. The Galen Centre remains steadfast in our belief that introducing the generational endgame to prevent a new generation of smokers and vapors should be what we aim to happen in Malaysia. However, Though I and, and many in society may feel that GEG is needed immediately, our elected members of parliament appear to not feel or see it the same way. And this is quite unfortunate. Today, there is a new Dewan Rakyat, a new government, a new political reality. And speaking for myself, unfortunately, I believe that it is now harder to pass the Tobacco and Smoking Control Bill in its current form. But we need to have this bill tabled and passed today to address the fact that vape in Malaysia remains unregulated, unrestricted and out of control. Children are now taking up vaping and become addicted to nicotine. So what I'm proposing is that to ensure passage of this principal bill by this current government, I propose that the GEG provisions be tabled as amendments at a later date. It will have to be a fight for another day. It cannot be an all or nothing approach. We urgently need the rest of provisions contained in the bill, especially those dealing with vape. And Azrul, you mentioned vaping is currently legal but unregulated and more children are taking up vaping. But what are the implications of the unchecked sale and use of vaping? Well, you know, as you said at the very beginning, you know, as of today, there is no regulation on vape. Uh, in the absence of the tobacco and smoking control bill, there is currently a massive gap in existing legislation regarding the marketing and sale of products containing nicotine, specifically vape. Sales of cheap vape disposable 
containing high concentrations of liquid nicotine, I'm sure you've all seen them, currently cannot be prevented, restricted, or banned. And anyone, including children, can buy them. And what we're starting to see is that children as young as 10 are becoming newly addicted to nicotine. So, you know, previously their parents would be smoking cigarettes to feed their addiction. Now these kids are puffing on vape to deal with their own addiction. So that's the implication. Right. So how should the legislative framework now be adjusted in view that we would like to carve it out as a separate piece of legislation then? Well, it's always been a, a part of the bill and it can be uh, tabled separately. So this is why uh, the what I've mentioned just now, the Tobacco and Smoking Control Bill proposed to regulate the vape industry in the same way that the tobacco industry is currently regulated, especially regarding advertisements, marketing, promotion, and sponsorship. So it's going to help rein in and regulate vape, which has gone out of control in Malaysia. And it can be tabled separately in terms of the GEG, which bans future generations from taking up smoking or vaping. So I, if I want to illustrate the urgency of the problem, in the UK, Europe, and even next door in Indonesia, where vape is regulated, the maximum strength permitted is only 20 milligrams of nicotine, or 2%. However, in this country, Malaysia, vape liquids in a single disposable can have up to 5% nicotine are easily available for around 10 or 20 ringgit. And such high concentrations, even in small amounts, are toxic for children. So we really need this bill to be tabled and passed in Parliament. Okay, Azra, let's turn our attention to the congestion in public hospital emergency departments. Do you think the government's move to introduce short-stay wards is a sustainable means of easing overcrowding? Well, you know, let me say that congestion is not only happening in public hospitals, but also in private hospitals, but we don't hear that often enough. Now, we've spoken to a lot of people who work on the front lines of healthcare delivery in this country, and they have all basically said that most, if not all, of the proposed ideas recently by the Ministry of Health, which has been announced, has already been tried, tested and oftentimes fail to deal with the emergency department congestion, including the use of short-stay wards. In fact, right now, in some large public hospitals, they already have around six short-stay wards, you know. So this is quite uh, a, a solution that have already been tried out. And the fact is, is that the emergency and trauma departments have already been described as war zones even before COVID-19. Now, you know, when you talk about these proposed solutions, the problem is, you know, when you talk about extended hours, the fact is that they depend on having sufficient healthcare workers. And that is the fundamental problem. We are experiencing today a hemorrhage of healthcare workers, including specialists, doctors and nurses from the public healthcare service. Why? You know, the, we are facing right now a leaky bucket situation where, you know, water is being poured and then there's holes at the bottom. The holes are getting bigger due to a number of reasons. People are leaving the service. And the reasons include heavier working hours, toxic work environments, bullying, of course, the situation faced by contract healthcare workers. Now, the fact is, with more demand for care as patients pour into hospitals and clinics, healthcare workers are being forced to choose between care for themselves and care for their patients, which is incredibly unfair. Mm. Healthcare workers have their own families, their own health issues, their own worries. Now, despite changes that were introduced, there are still doctors who are doing 30-hour shifts. And many, especially junior doctors, housemen, medical officers, they're returning home physically and mentally wracked and exhausted. Some have even been involved in 
accidents and car crashes, and some have even lost their lives. So I'm asking right now is, why is it that healthcare professional working in the public sector seems to be exempt from protections under Malaysian labour law, such as no employee shall be required to work for more than nine hours in a day or 45 hours in, day, uh, in, in a week. We have pilots who are not allowed to fly airplanes for more than eight hours within 24 hours and must rest for at least 16 hours later. You know, there's a cardiology department in Sirdang Hospital right now, which currently works from 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. And I worry for those women and men over there. Okay, Azrul, it sounds like we really need a total revamp of the healthcare system. But A, do we have the resources for it in terms of money, sufficient doctors? I mean, how painful will this process be? So, you know, this is a good question. The fact is, is that we don't know. And what the government must do today, and I'm sure you, you're basically wanting to, to ask that, you know, what, what solutions can mm. be forwarded then? But the first thing that the government must convene is a special task force to discuss uh, what's happening in our healthcare system, not next month, but immediately. Yeah. Whether the government recognises it or not, the Malaysian healthcare system and the health of people in this country are currently in crisis, and nobody can immediately prescribe long-term uh, solutions because we need people from the public, private sectors, and academia, including those who specialise in human resources, to sit down together and figure them out. You know, and most importantly, we need to start consulting the people who are dealing with this situation day in, day out. We need to speak to our healthcare workers, listen to them, and most importantly, take them seriously. Because right now, we need uh, long-term solutions. We don't need sticking plaster solutions or quick fixes because that's not going to be enough. We need to start to listen and take seriously our women and men who are working on the front lines of healthcare to find out what the solutions are and how we can go about introducing them today, not tomorrow or next month, today. So short of ideas, it seems to be the case. Hence, you know, so much discussion about getting a white paper done. Uh, I'm not sure where the status of that is. But also yesterday, the health minister said that the government is struggling to maintain a free healthcare system, which gets me thinking that in the last election, Pakatan Harpan promised that public healthcare spending would rise to 5% of GDP to five years. Is this a reversal of their manifesto pledge then? Well, to be honest, we don't know because right now the current government hasn't uh, given a clear indication of where they sit on the issue of health. We keep mentioning that the healthcare system is in crisis, but the government seems to not acknowledge or is treating it as business as usual. This is an old problem. Uh, the fact that there's an exodus of healthcare workers uh, from the uh, public service uh, is. Uh, the initial response was, well, well, this is an old story, you know, and this is something that we're going to have to face. And the fact is, is that we are in a crisis and the government needs to acknowledge that that is the case. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Azrul Khalid, Chief Executive Office, Officer at Galen's Centre, telling us that we need a lot of reform uh, with regards to our healthcare system. And these solutions aren't easy, but some political will, I think, is always our, our main bugbear. And urgency is important. If there's, a, if there's going to be a budget tabled end of next month, we do want to see some substantive reforms related to healthcare there. Mm. And if, you know, Azro is saying that they need to convene and get all these people urgently to come up with ideas, how are you going to fund these ideas is going to be very important. Yeah, you don't want Malaysia to end up like the UK NHS, right, where over the winter months, 
there was dismal waiting times, months that people have to wait for a simple operation. We should actually rectify the situation as soon as possible. It's not easy, but at least we need to make steps towards that. Up next, of course, we've got the KLCI opening as well as World Market Watch with Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global. But before that, a quick message. Liver cancer is among the 10 most common cancers in Malaysia and shows no signs of reducing in burden. This is where interventional radiologists can come in with advancements like transarterial chemoembolization, which targets chemotherapy directly to the tumour in the liver. Find out more from Dr. Alex Tang, consultant vascular and interventional radiologist from Subang Jaya Medical Centre and assistant professor Nucha Pincha Roen, interventional radiologist from Chulalongkong University, Thailand. Tune in on Thursday, excuse me, 2nd of February at 4pm. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.